I really hope Kyle is going to get here at some point. I've been sitting at my computer for 25 minutes, and he's still not here. Is anybody out there? Can anybody hear me? Uh, hey, hey, Ross. It's uh, it's Bob. I'm here. Bob? Yeah. Bob, how'd you get here? Uh, because you woke me out of my slumber to say, hey, can you do a show tonight? And being the team player that I am, I am here for you, Russ. Thank you. I appreciate that. You, uh, it's, it's a call up to the big leagues. I, you know what? It's nice that you're a team player. Um, at, at certainly at some point, if you're a good enough team player, I might have to uh, demote you to uh, AAA so that somebody who uh, doesn't do anything can, can uh, you know, come up here and take your spot. But that's fine. You're not like the Phillies. Crossing Broad is uh, Crossing Broad's a real thing. We're good. Wow. One minute yeah. into the show and you're getting your first Scott Kingery dig in. That's that's good stuff. I like that. I don't even know. At this point, like, we can't call him the king. I don't know if we can call him the prince. Do we even call him, like, the plebe? I don't know what we call him right now. Scott Kingery, you've killed my fantasy baseball season. You've broken my heart and you've killed my love for the Phillies. Thanks so much, Scotty Jetpacks. Um, so <laughs> this is a, uh, a an interesting episode of Crossing Broadcast. We're recording at... Uh, 11.20 p.m. on Tuesday night, following the Phillies' hard-fought 2-1 loss to the Boston <laughs> Red Sox. They really, they really scratched and clawed that, really, that one run out, you know. They really uh, crushed the ball on that one. And uh, we're here to kind of to recap and, and react to it. I was listening to uh, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with Bob and Anthony Sanfilippo, who you should find on Twitter, at BWCrossingBroad and at AntSanPhilly. And listening to the show Tuesday morning, all I kept thinking was, man, like the uh, the kind of back and forth that you guys have, it's almost it's not like you waffle, but I feel like every time I go to put up the show and I'm editing and I and I throw it up there, it's like one week everything's fine. The next week we have major concerns, and the next week it's like it's uh, hey we're we're back, you know things are things are iffy. It's a little bit of a tenuous situation, but things are going to be okay. And then the uh, the sky's falling again, and. Finally got to hear a little bit of fired up Bob, which was nice. That was that was really nice. I can't I, get my personality to to match what I am as I watch the game or as I'm tweeting. Like I always say this and I've said it on our show a couple times. Like what I am on Twitter and how crazy I am and how much I overreact to what I'm seeing, it doesn't translate when I'm on the show because I try my hardest to sound like an actual you know, normal person that thinks things out and is rational. But when I'm watching these games, I, I go nuts. And it's funny, our conversation tonight started with your text message to me at eleven forty nine. How pissed are you? That's how, that's what you opened with. Not even hello or you up. It just, yeah, I'm, not, I'm how, not here for how, pleasantries. You up. I'm not like trying you? to find you on a Tinder yeah, date. You know, I, mean, yeah, I mean, like woo me a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's still know, got man. here, didn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not even for, for that those, mad. For those listening right now, if you're in a relationship right now, just uh, if you're estranged from your, uh, from your lover at this point, just send them that text. How yeah. pissed are you? Now, listen, I just got engaged, so I'd be, you know, hey. I'm, I'm coming off that that cloud nine right now. So that listen, commenter who likes your uh, your hair so much is going to be pretty disappointed at this point. Yeah, they've actually taken it pretty easy on, easy on me lately. I don't That's know if nice. that means that they're indifferent or what if, it, if it, you know, let me posit a theory. What if it was your fiance? Like, what if she had pent up frustration about you not having proposed? And now that you've done it, she's uh, retiring that crossing broad commenter name. She's just trying to like make me feel insecure and belittle me. Be like, you better take what's in front of you, pal. You know, like one of those deals. You think if that she that's did what it, it that's like that's like the best long play I've you seen. You can't even be mad at that. That's no. awesome. Yeah. Well done. 
But but to get back to the the rage about the Phillies, you know, honestly, I'm not as mad as you would think or as frustrated as you would think because it's the same thing over and over again. And I know you said you feel like we sort of waffle week to week, but honestly, even when they had played well and they were starting to surge and they took control of the East for for a week or two, Anthony and I, I think we're pretty honest. We said this this team isn't very good, and it has a lot of flaws offensively. I mean, it is the starting pitching that drives this whole operation. And for the most part, you know, the offense did just enough. They had uh, timely hits just enough to kind of make it work. But what you're seeing now is that luck just completely has run out. And and the starting pitching has still been excellent lately, but the offense has been non-existent. And and now I think you're starting to see what this team truly is and and sort of what I think a lot of people in the Delaware Valley suspected they were all along. And maybe that helps explain why nobody really ever got that excited about what they were watching, even as this team was in first place to begin the month of August. Yeah, so I want to come back around to the excitement in a moment because – I know that when when you and I have talked about this in the past, I've I've often kind of come back to what the attendance numbers look like, what the attendance numbers across baseball look like, and realizing that you know in in the middle of the summer when you are in a legitimate race for the division crown, you would think that the way that Philly fans are, you would expect there to be higher attendance and and that people would start to buy in, and I, I've kind of done a little bit of I don't want to call it like Philly sports fan soul searching, but. It's kind of been that. It's been like a little bit of introspection about like what is it that has made me kind of fall away from the game of baseball and and specifically from the Phillies. And I think a lot of it is my my love for the Phillies and and the summer and baseball was so much built around the experience. And part of that was like the ballpark itself was trying to get down because I I just love the way the Citizens Bank Park is set up. I thought as a college kid. It was a lot of fun. I mean, they had things that were tailored specifically to those needs. Now as a father, like I I see a totally different side of it. And I see, you know, the way that the park is kind of inclusive and and family friendly and all that. And and I love that. Um, And and there's just there's always, you know, that that part of you that likes to put the Phillies on as background sound. You know, if it's the radio, if it's TV and just kind of go on with your summer days. And, And there's just something about summer that feels right when the Phillies are on. For some reason, it's it's just been this whole season, and even as they've been fighting for that division crown, I just haven't I haven't connected with the team, and we've talked about this a ton. You know, part of it is the the team and and Major League Baseball doesn't necessarily do the greatest job, and I guess you know even NBC Sports Philly or whomever don't exactly do the best job of of trying to make connections between uh, the the players and the fans and kind of let you get that insight into what these guys are like and what makes them tick. I just don't, I don't have that connection to them. And now like there's a fearful part of me that kind of looks at this Philly season and especially where they're at now, now that they've, they've blown the division lead and they've, they've been surpassed. I I don't know if that energy is going to come back to the park. I don't know if there's going to be a late surge that's going to, you know, fill up the seats at Citizens Bank Park through the month of August and even into September. There, there's this very sad part of me that feels like there is a current apathy that exists within the fan base of the Phillies akin to that of what the Philadelphia Union fan base has been for years. And that's and that's what's, you know, absolutely debilitating and that's what's so crushing. And I, well, I let me I let know. me kind of uh, try to unpack some of that. I, I think that part of the reason that people have failed to latch onto this team is just because it's it's been a boring product to watch. And to kind of illustrate that, I mean they've scored seven runs in their last 
seven games. I'm sorry, 16 runs now in their last seven games. So dating back to the start of that West Coast trip where, where things started to go wrong, I mean, they just don't score on a consistent basis. There's no action. And when you look at it that way, you go, well, all right, I I know what I'm getting into pretty much on an, any given night. It's going to be good starting pitching, and will they score enough? And, and lately the answer has been no. Uh, you you kind of pair that with the fact that there aren't a ton of big personalities on this team. There's nobody that fans are going to naturally gravitate towards. I mean, maybe Reese Hoskins. He's he's a bona fide, you know, all-star caliber player. You're talking about a guy in his, his first full season basically hitting 40, 40 home runs. And, and that's something that I think that fans in the long run, are, are they're going to appreciate that, and he's going to become a star in this city. I don't think he's there yet, but he will. But, but other than that, when you look at their lineup or you look at this roster, who, are you, who do you feel attached to? You know, who do you have that personal connection with? Michael Franco, you know, who, who's had a good year in, in 2018, but nobody feels a connection with Michael Franco or Nick Williams. Half the city hates Odubel Herrera, who I've defended for, for the last two years, but he's been terrible the last two and a half months. So I'm even starting to kind of waver on him where I'm like, well, you know, if, if he's not going to produce and he's going to do this stupid stuff, then it, it's hard to get behind him. Carlos Santana. He's, he's the Robert Covington of their team. Yeah. He, he, you know what? It's a, it's a perfect comparison. I mean, Carlos Santana, no. Uh, I think that even the people that defended him early in the year are starting to say now uh, he just doesn't have it. Um, Scott Kingery, I think people would have gravitated towards him, but he's been arguably one of the two or three worst hitters in the National League this season. Uh, and I think that people kind of almost feel duped by Scott Kingery, and, and that's not his fault. I think that he was put into a bad situation. He was probably rushed up here. He probably should not have gotten 400 at-bats at the major league level this season once it became obvious that he was, he was overmatched. So it's not necessarily Scott Kingery's fault, and it doesn't mean that Scott Kingery won't be a good player in the long run, but certainly people aren't going to be lining up to buy his jersey right now. And so where is the attraction? Who do you love on this team? And I just think that that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, they've wasted now five starts since July 28th in which their starting pitcher uh, allowed two runs or less. And you just, you just kind of know what you're getting into every single night. It's not very fun. Um, and so I think that that's a big part of it. Yeah. It, yeah, it is a shame. Like when when I look at this lineup or I look at this this roster, if you'd have shown it to me in spring training or even at the end of last season, and I would have seen that Scott Kingery and J.P. Crawford were going to be up here, that Franco was going to be a third, I would have to assume at that point that he must have been having a, a resurgent season. Seeing that Jorge Alfaro was up, like these are all things that would have been exciting, right? And like even even now, like seeing that Roman Quinn has has been up and like had a a decent streak for a little at least a little bit. You know, there's there are some guys that I, I thought for years, you know, when everything clicks and when we get somewhere in the 2019-2020 year, these guys are all going to be up and they're going to be hitting that early part, like end, end of the uh, foundational years or, or whatever, and, and like entering that early part of their prime. It's just not there yet. And I don't know if it's so much of maybe the fans just clamoring for a youth movement. I don't know if, if it was... The continuation of the Phillies process of sorts of of wanting to make sure that they get these guys at bats and get them valuable experience. But like the Scott Kingery thing doesn't make any sense to me. Like J.P. Crawford, in a, in a sense, you know, he's he's coming off an injury now. But like J.P. Crawford to me should be farther along, a better developed 
player at this point, I think. Um, Kingery is, is just like such a mixed bag because when we came into spring training, you know, we, we were hoping that he was going to be able to make a case that, you know, we, nobody really thought that he was going to make the team out of spring training. You kind of thought that he'd go down to AAA and then maybe like a couple months into the season, he would get the call up and, you know, be riding a hot streak and, and come up confident. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch, but like Kingery to me, I, I don't think ever was put in position to succeed when in his first major league season, coming off of a, a big contract, coming off of guys like Buster Olney, you know, reporting that scouts had said that he was going to be the best second baseman since Dustin Pedroia. You know, like these are all things that I thought were kind of unfair expectations. And, you know, fair or not, he was saddled with them from the get go and he didn't get to play his natural position. They had him, you know, jerking around as as a utility player. And that's just not what you're supposed to do with a young player. Yeah, in a way, I mean, the the worst thing that happened to Scott Kingery was him having the spring that he did. You know, if he doesn't have the march that he he had, perhaps they start him in Lehigh Valley and you see him come up at the end of May or in June and and he's – has a more natural, you know, a more natural flow into the major leagues. Instead, he, like you said, he's just thrust into this this awkward situation in which he has to play five or six different positions, and he just wasn't ready. Um, and, and the thing is, just because we don't love Scott Kingery right now or just because we don't have an emotional connection with some of these players at the moment, that doesn't mean that we won't. That doesn't mean that come 2019, come 2020, we say, like, damn. You remember uh, when, when the Phillies won the wild card game and, uh, you know, Vince Velasquez, Velasquez came out and started game two of the NLDS because they had to use NOLA. And so Velasquez is on the road, and he pitched that that seven-inning shutout, and he was money, and, and now Vince Velasquez is my boy. Or, you know, Odubel Herrera popped a two-run homer in the eighth to break a tie. You need those defining moments in order to love a team. And the Phillies still do have that opportunity in front of them. As, as frustrating as they've been to watch over the last couple weeks, and, and I know they're now two games out uh, behind the Braves after the Braves won again tonight against the Miami Marlins, they are still in a position to have these moments in the second half of August and throughout September. And if they can capitalize on them, if a guy like Nick Williams pops a big three-run homer in a critical spot to win a, a pivotal game, or if Nick Pavetta goes out and throws seven, eight shutout innings in a key game on the road at Atlanta in late September, well, guess what? You know, we may still then develop that connection with these guys. But as it stands right now, you're just sort of watching this team that you don't really believe in sort of sleepwalk its way through games, and and it's just hard to develop that connection. And I think that that's really the biggest issue. Like, what was the year that things didn't that the wheels started coming off of the uh, the elite team, the dynasty team? It was it it wasn't an eleven. Well, right they, the, they won they, over the hundred games, and the bats in started going, and the bats started going silent. And we saw it happen in the uh, uh, game between Halliday and, and Carpenter, where they both went. Yeah, what it was, was a, it? It was like down down to the wire. It was a one nil. It was yeah, a one, one nothing, nothing game. I'm watching too much soccer. A one nothing yeah, game. One <laughs> and it like the the thing I think that was different about that was, for as frustrating as it was to watch guys that a lot of fans had idolized. Um, watching them come up short was a disappointment, but also I think to some extent you still believed in them, even though, you know, maybe the trends were showing that, that they weren't going to continue to be those incredible elite productive players that they had been maybe in like 2009 or even 2010. This team just hasn't done anything to afford themselves a little bit of leeway with the fans. And so like, again, like I'm, I'm going to come around to this and I don't know who, who listens to this. That is also somebody who like watches the union, but like bear with me for a second. So like, 
when I, I kind of came in in this Philly season, I thought that there was going to be a hope, maybe because of Kingery and knowing that Crawford could be up and and knowing that Hoskins was coming off of a, a solid year. I didn't like him going out to left field, but whatever. Like It's another year of a, a good young player. I wanted to see how Alfaro was going to do. Uh, you had been kind of hyping up this pitching staff as you know being young and potentially you know seeing Aaron Nola go next level, and and it all it all panned out in, in its own way. But like you kind of worry as a fan that your passion for the team or your passion for the sport isn't going to be met by other fans, and it's almost like you're living on this island. And that's kind of what happens with the union because like you know it's it's a smaller fan base, it's a niche fan base, and over the course of like the last seven seven or eight years of its existence. There have just been constant um, moments of, of hope where you see them make a signing or they're able to, to bring somebody in, and, and it's with the union, it's never for big money, but like they're able to bring somebody in that can, can kind of draw a, a couple like uh, casual fans in, and you know, you start to ride the hype, you go to the stadium, you love the atmosphere, and you find yourself like taking the family there like maybe once or twice a summer, you don't really follow the team all that much, but you go. And to me, that's kind of what the Phillies have become. And it's a shame because, like, the apathy that exists within the union fan base, so much of it is because the owner's cheap and nobody really believes that the team is going to get that much better. And it's just this weird thing where, like, you have to hope that the academy system and that the uh, the minor league team, the USL team, Bethlehem Steel are going to be able to, like, pump out these young kids that are going to be able to contribute. And it feels so much like that's what's going on with the Phillies right now. The weird thing, though, is, and the thing that doesn't exactly line up, is John Middleton's not a cheap owner. It just feels like there's this... These teams have set themselves up in a summer where you're coming off of success watching, uh, you know, to some extent the Flyers, watching the Sixers ride some massive success in town, watching the Eagles win the Super Bowl. We thought that this was going to propel these summer teams into making themselves competitive, getting, trying to grab some of those headlines, and not just being a placeholder until Eagles training camp starts up. And I feel like both of these teams, and it's it's just kind of commonplace for the union at this point, but like both of these teams have just kind of missed out on yet another opportunity to kind of grab some of that momentum, and in fairness, like the unprecedented momentum of what a Super Bowl win would be, and and they just haven't done anything with it. And and it, well, it just fair, disgusts they, me as a fan. I don't want to say they've missed out on the opportunity, the Phillies anyway, um, but they are missing out on it. They're in the process of missing out on it uh, because what you're seeing now is if they fall be behind by four, five, six games, if they can't get it together and they continue to stumble over the next two weeks, I don't think that they're good enough to overcome a, a large deficit in September. Like That's not what this team is. It's not like they're waiting to break out or they're just kind of underachieving right now. They are what they are offensively. And I know they're going to get Wilson Ramos back maybe as soon as Wednesday. It's, it's possible that he is actually uh, called up um, tomorrow sometime to be determined. But I don't think that Wilson Ramos moves the needle that drastically that all of a sudden the Phillies are going to become some offensive force over the final 40, 45 games of the year. But it, I, it I feels like the expectations, see... like the, the groundwork has already been laid with fans thinking that he's going to come back and be the savior. <sighs> yeah. Like the, right when, when they acquired him and they acquired Cabrera, I mean, that, that was kind of the thought. Was like, catcher. He guy's hitting 297 this year. I had 14 homers uh, in the beginning of July before he got hurt. Um, so, I mean, he's a very productive catcher. And when you look at how bad the Phillies offense has been at the catching position this season, uh, Andrew Knapp and, and Jorge Alfaro have, have really struggled. Um, exorbitantly high strikeout rates. Over the last 30 days, they're hitting under 200 and they lead the league in strikeout percentage. Uh, and they are dead last in slugging percentage. So they're getting zero production out of the catching spot right now. Um, 
So Wilson Ramos should theoretically provide a huge boost to that position, but is it enough to make this a a deeper and more functional and consistent offense? That remains to be seen. Uh, it's possible, but I, I just don't know that you can really rely on that at this point. Uh, but that's what you have to kind of hope for uh, because this – this team has a chance. I don't want to say it's over. I don't want to sit here and say that, well, you know what, it was a nice run for a while, but they're clearly not good enough. It's possible that they stabilize and they reclaim first place in this division. I just, I'm not counting on it. It just, it seems like Atlanta, though their starting pitching isn't as strong, they just have more firepower and they're able to overcome their deficiencies more frequently or they will be down the stretch. I mean, especially the way that Ronald Acuna is just popped off over the last two weeks. Uh, he looks What's like he's seven, a... seven home runs in seven games, right? Yeah, I actually tweeted earlier tonight, uh, immediately after the Phillies game. Uh, he has over his last five games, 12 RBI. And the Phillies, as a team over their last five games, have nine RBI. So he's he's right now uh, just outproducing the entire Phillies lineup. Uh, so it just kind of goes to show you the, the type of firepower that that Braves team has. I mean, their starting pitchers can go out and, and pitch four or five innings, give up four or five runs, and they're okay. Whereas if the Phillies do that, if they get a lemon of a start out of one of these guys, forget it. I mean, just look at Sunday's game, right? Jake Arrieta gives up the grand slam to Freddie Galvis in the third inning. It's 5 nothing. The game shouldn't be over in the third inning at 5 nothing. Conceivably, you, you would think that they would have a chance to kind of chip away and get back into that game, but you knew it was over because they are just, they're that team. They can only win one way. Uh, they're very one-dimensional uh, in that way. So, uh, it it's frustrating. Uh, I understand why people are somewhat apathetic to it. And those that do care, I understand why those people are frustrated. It, there's not a, a ton to feel great about on a nightly basis watching this team because it's just so damn boring. So then let's, let's kind of examine that for a second. So, you know, you say that the team only can win one way. And when, when I go back and think about what we were talking about before the trade deadline, you know, Manny Machado's name was brought up a, a bunch of times. So was Zach Britton as somebody who could stabilize the back end of the bullpen. Bryce Harper was kind of thrown out on on trade deadline day, which I don't think was ever any any kind of a legitimate, credible rumor. But like whatever, they they missed out on these guys. And in the immediate aftermath, there were plenty of people who were happy that the Phillies didn't trade the farm for a potential rental. And you know Machado's numbers with the Dodgers, I you know I don't put a lot into um, you know doing some kind of comparative analytics to like how he plays with the Dodgers versus how he's playing with the Orioles and try to project that onto the Phillies because it's just totally different situations it's totally different lineups it's different ballparks it's different sight lines like whatever it that to me doesn't line up exactly so if if we kind of like go back over this a second like the idea that that Ramos is supposed to come in here and I think fans are going to have an unrealistic expectation for how much he's going to stabilize the offense like was it a mistake to not go out and get another big bat? Whether it was Machado, whether it was Harper, whoever it was, was it a mistake to not pull the trigger on it? Because right now it looks like they are like woefully underprepared uh, to go into a postseason stretch run. And it, it looks like they have no shot to line up against elite starting pitching. Now, I know in listening to uh, the show this morning, it seems like they're bigger bugaboo I guess is the uh, presence of a, a guy with like an ERA over five or somebody that you never heard of but like the fact still remains like this team just doesn't look like I mean knife to a gunfight I don't even think is fair at this point it's like sending one guy and that's like Reese Hoskins sending him with a butter knife and the rest of the guys <laughs> show up with like plastic spoons 
You know what I mean? Like, it, well, it's I just, understand your point. I mean, yeah. first of all, as far as Bryce Harper is concerned, I don't think the Nationals' ownership really made him available. As far as Manny Machado goes, look at his numbers with the Dodgers. And again, like you said, you don't know how that's going to translate had he come here. But he's hitting 255, 733 OPS, and, and about 100 at-bats with the Dodgers. He hasn't been a difference maker for them. And the Dodgers have actually struggled a little bit lately. I don't know what he would have done here. Maybe he would have exploded and he'd be hitting 370. I, I don't know. But if, if that's the production that you were going to get from Manny Machado, it wouldn't have made a difference. And we would have all been saying, wow, what a mistake. So you have to look at it that way. I don't know who else was available in the market that you would have gone and, and acquired at that point that would have really made a significant difference to what you're seeing from this lineup. And the thing that's really frustrating about this group is that each of these players has a redeemable quality about them. I mean, Cesar Hernandez isn't hitting this season. His average is down like 35 points from 2017, but the on-base percentage is up because he's walking more than he ever has. Uh, you know, Reese Hoskins went through a cold stretch, but again, he's an elite power hitter in the National League. Carlos Santana, who I do not like. <laughs> I'm firmly in the camp I do of not the, this guy. I do not like this man. Yeah, I he, do not like him. He, he aggravates me. But again, he does get on base. He does provide a, a skill set that's valuable to a major league lineup. As long as How he's does not he get hitting, on base? As long as he's not hitting cleanup. You know? How does he get on base, Bob? He walks. He Gotta walks? Yeah, he looks head. like a guy who walks. Yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. He does, doesn't he? And, and, doesn't look like... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, but if you just go down through the lineup, I mean, look, look at these players from an individual standpoint. Odubel Herrera. I mean, he was a, an MVP candidate through 40 games this season. Um, you know, Michael Franco's played well. Nick Williams has played well. So you, you look at the lineup and you say on an individual basis, there are parts here. The, these guys can play a little bit. They've shown that they're good offensive players or at least functional, serviceable offensive players, really with the exception of the catchers. Uh, Andrew Knapp and, and Alfaro have been wildly disappointing this season. Um, so Ramos is the upgrade there. And so you say, well, I don't know. Like, I mean, they should be better than what they are, but they don't hit for average. They don't hit doubles. There's a lot of strikeouts. It, it's very home run reliant. And that's why you see these, these wild fluctuations. They have these big innings and then they just go quiet. And um, so that's what makes it difficult because there's not one obvious upgrade. And, and to that end, even as Drupal Cabrera, I mean, he's hitting a shade over 200 now since he's come to the Phillies. But you feel like he's been a significant upgrade for the pure fact, and I said this on Crossed Up yesterday, you feel good about Hasdrubal Cabrera right now because he's not Scott Kingery. That's the best asset. <laughs> That's the, the most positive thing that I can say about Hasdrubal Cabrera right now. He's not Scott Kingery. Uh, and, and so you feel good about him, but in reality, he struggled here as well. So these guys have just, they've not gotten hot together at the same time. Um, they, they don't get the key hit or they haven't gotten key hits lately. And, and that's what you're seeing with it. So I don't know that one move would have been the difference for this team. I, I know it feels like some of the air went out of the balloon at the trade deadline because they didn't make the big splash. I just don't know what the big splash was. Uh, Maybe so, the big splash is, uh, you know, getting Justin Bourne in the lineup. Yeah, I mean... You know, like, okay, the guy's hitting 227 for the year. I get it. He's he not a great hit hitter. He can't hit left-handers. Uh, so, like, yeah, if, yeah, he's, if like, he's facing only right-handed pitchers, I mean, he does have 17 homers against them this season. Uh, OPS is in the mid-800s. So you could make a case. If, if Carlos Santana continues to hit, you know, around 200 to 220 and has no power, I mean, he, he's not hitting for any power. I believe he has eight extra base hits right now since July 1st. So, yeah, I mean, do you play Justin Bohr once or twice a week? 
maybe, but is that going to be the difference? It's hard to say. And um, the Braves aren't know, a man. powerhouse. Like if, if, I mean, the Braves if, are if a, a guy... flawed team. They're not going to run away with this thing. But the way the Phillies are going right now, it feels like they, that they the Braves could play 500 or, or slightly above 500 from here on out, and I don't know that the Phillies catch them. So... I don't know. I feel like the, couldn't there be a little bit of a, a thought that goes into the idea of of Boer coming in and maybe he he gets on a a little bit of a hot streak. He gets on a slugger's hot streak and is able to kind of I, I don't even I don't want to say it's like bring stability to the lineup, but like bring some kind of consistent pop that kind of frees up some of these other these other guys to you know actually be aggressive in counts and not you know simply look to defer and and to passively get on base via a walk. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's could a that, good point. Could that they, cha- they could, do, does it change the mentality they do of the defer. lineup? They do defer, and they are passive. Um, And, and so maybe. I, I think that the, the biggest point of support for that idea would just it changes the optics it changes the feel of the lineup and there's just something so stagnant about the composition of this lineup as it stands right now and so maybe you sit down a starter and you send a message and I know that's like a an old school narrative thing like you know ruffle the feathers send a message shake things up a little bit but maybe there's something to be said for that I I, I don't know I don't think that that's the fix but they've got to do something because I, I just don't think that staying the course at this point, and you saw Kapler do that tonight in the first game against the Red Sox. He had Nick Williams hitting second. It did not go well, but he drops uh, you know, Hoskins back. He drops Santana back. He, he tries to alter the chemistry of the lineup a little bit, and it, you know it's the same results. And I actually feel sorry for him. Uh, I really do. I, I think he's so limited in what he can do with this lineup right now. Um, he just kind of has to cross his fingers and hope something gets better. So I, I think that that's where the Phillies stand, you know, at this point. I, I don't think that they're totally screwed, but certainly things have to get better, and they have to get better in a hurry, or this thing's going to get away from them. Um, I, I know we didn't talk about this before the show, but I really I need to talk about this, and I think that you're the right guy to have this conversation with. Okay. Um, did, did you watch the game tonight? I'm not, no. I'm not trying to trap you here or anything. I didn't. Okay. Um, Isn't so, that a shame, too? It's the Red Sox. Like, it's it's a game that I should watch. Yeah. Well, so you didn't you didn't miss anything. I mean, you missed, I missed a, two. I missed two hits and a walk. Yeah, you missed uh, three home runs, basically. That was it. And um, the, the reason why I ask that, though, is that this was a big game tonight, theoretically. The, the Phillies have been struggling lately. Boston is always a, a big draw. There's a little extra juice at the ballpark over this type of game. And you figure that more people are going to tune in for it. So you, you consider how things have been going for the Phillies lately, and it's kind of tense, and you're like, they, they need this game tonight. And I think the fans are probably frustrated, and the patience is wearing a little bit thin. And so NBC Sports Philly, you know the authentic fan thing Oh, Jesus, do. no. I, I uh, think I know. Are you talking about the guy? Was this? Go ahead, because uh, I, I, I turned on the game for a little bit, and I think I know where you're going. Yeah, so they, they do the authentic fan thing, and tonight was authentic fan night. And I don't know why they picked tonight. I guess maybe because more eyeballs were going to be on the game. They, they have two old men up in the booth. Uh, with yep. John Crook the, and, and Tom McCarthy, and and Tom McCarthy just, stands up and goes, "Oh, how uh, how how tall are you?" And he goes, like, "Oh, I'm six three or six five. Yeah, so, and oh, like, oh, oh tell, tell me about your favorite Phillies memory. And like, here's the where thing. are your seats at? Oh, like, well, uh, my seats are over there in a uh, three forty seven, right by the the Hoop WB Mason sign. 
It's like, yeah, this like, is, this is what's wrong and, with And here's the thing. Nobody gives a shit. I mean, no, nobody cares. If you're an authentic fan, I, I assure you that nobody cares about these two random guys. Who, by the way, I'm sure are very nice people and nothing Great against guys. them. Great guys, I'm sure. But who, <laughs> who gives a shit? And they, they force feed this stuff down your throat. And the Phillies aren't playing well. People are starting to, to really get upset. You, you can see on Twitter the frustration is palpable. And it's like there's just no awareness of the moment. And I just don't understand that broadcast that way. I mean, it can be 5-1. And the, the Phillies have two hits in the seventh inning. And, and they're on their way to another loss. And it's like, hey, Crocker, did you, did you try these cheesesteaks? Ha, 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 ha. And you're like, what, what the, like, what are we doing right now? You know? And I, I understand that a baseball season's long. It's 162 games. You, you can't be dialed in and, like, every pitch is, is in the ninth inning, game seven of the World Series. I'm not saying that, but I just feel like that the, sometimes that there's, they're tone deaf in that booth. And, uh, Tonight, that, that entire broadcast struck me as such. I just don't understand it. I don't understand the marketing campaign. Nobody likes it. Nobody thinks it's interesting. And it was just getting absolutely slammed on Twitter. And I hope that they realize that nobody cares and nobody wants to see that anymore. Um, yeah, the, the authentic fan thing seems like it, it's just totally tone deaf and it's, it's never hit the mark. I've never actually been able to figure out, like, what exactly is an authentic fan? Is that somebody who can afford to have season tickets for 20 years or 17 years or whatever that guy had? Like, I, I, there was like I the one totally... guy in the commercial that had like a bunch of sports ties. That yeah, they, have like... you ever seen that one? He's like, I no. have my tie from the '93 Phillies. You're like, okay. No. Well, thank God your, for that. your boy Erock was was an authentic fan. Look um, at you. Yeah. No, but yeah. like, oh, that's the thing I don't get. Like, what exactly is an authentic fan? And like, when you're saying that, does that make everybody else who who watches the game an an, an an authentic fan? Yeah, like, is that is that ex- like is that what that is? And that's what it comes down to. Like, why are you it's showing like, this to me? You know, let's talk about the the Phillies' inability to score. Let's talk about the bad approach on a two one slider. Give me something that I can take from the broadcast and say, "Wow, I didn't know that." And I actually have one suggestion that that I think I think that a lot of different networks are, are missing out on this. You have someone like Corey Seidman, right, who I, I think is very sharp. He clearly does his homework. As someone that looks at box scores for two hours a day and looks at fan graphs and baseball reference and, and constantly is trying to dig around statistics and trends like I do, I don't think there's anybody better at it than Corey Seidman. I mean, every time he comes on the television post game, he has something insightful to say. You can genuinely learn something listening to him. I don't know why NBC Sports Philly doesn't incorporate more of that into its live broadcast. I mean, they, they show batting average and RBI. Show well, me some the advanced. The authentic fan wouldn't uh, be able to conceptualize what exactly Seidman's saying. But, but you know what? The, the thing is, they can. It's not like this stuff is... I know that you, you get the, the 60 and over crowd, and they're like, well, I don't know what all this stuff is, all these numbers and computers, and, and they're nerding up baseball. You Which don't have to... War. There's a war. Yeah, and a like war we don't for need to have a National League East. What? <laughs> yeah, we don't have to have like a 25 minute tutorial on what war is, or you know what OPS plus is. I'm not saying that this needs to to become crazy over the top, but these things can be incorporated into the broadcast, and they just don't do it. And I find the analysis to be repetitive. Often nothing new is brought to the table. And instead you get conversations about the nachos and how it's the Fanatics' birthday and it's the superstars out behind third base in between innings. And 
and just this nonsense that nobody gives a shit about. And I, has it always been like that, or am I just getting older and crankier and more cynical? I, I guess that's it. Maybe I'm just mad because the team doesn't score runs. I mean, if they were putting up nine runs a night, would I really care about all this as much as I seem to right now? I don't know, but it, it's bizarre broadcast, and uh, it really got on my nerves tonight. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why this happens. The The Phillies have the worst overall production of any team in the city of Philadelphia. And I, I'll expand that to five teams. The Sixers, when you listen to Summer League and you're subjected to the Utah Jazz commentators, you realize how good you have it with Zumoff and, and Al Abdinabi. Uh, when you listen to an Eagles game, I, I personally, and I know a lot of people disagree with this, I'm not the biggest Merrill Reese fan. I've never totally understood it. I think he's got an iconic sound to his voice, but I, I just don't fully uh, find myself falling over myself to listen to his call. Um, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because it just sounds like he perpetually has a cold. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but but you can even say that that is a, is a solid broadcast with, with he and Mike Quick. I would say that the Jim Jackson and Keith Jones or Jim Jackson and Bill Clement uh, tandem with Chris Terrian on TV, formerly Coetzee, that's a good, solid foundation for a, uh, a Flyers telecast. And compared to other NHL uh, uh, teams and, and their commentary crews, I would say that that's good. The Union even have J.P. Della Camera, who was one of the lead voices for the Men's World Cup and, and as well as the Women's World Cup on Fox. And Tommy Smith, who's his color guy, isn't exactly the... Uh, this is the thing that Kevin and I talk about. Like, it, he's not the most insightful, uh, but he's a guy who's worked for ESPN in the past. He's a guy that has some kind of credibility as just being, you know, kind of the, uh, <laughs> the uh, guy from the UK just hanging out in the booth. And there have been times <laughs> that, you know, Telecamera's done games with Tony He's not Wallet. American, so he knows yeah. more. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you about him, and he's coming down the pitch, and I've never seen a man with a better-looking right calf than that man, let me tell you. The left one leaves a little bit to be desired, but it's a great one. I mean, sound like a little Scottish pirate. Um, but, like, even Tony Miola, who's done um, some of the, the color commentary stuff, uh, with Delacamera, like they they were a team together at the World Cup. So when you look at those other teams and their broadcasting crews, the Phillies' comparative uh, lineup is just not there. Like, t- does Murphy do it for anybody? Like, I think he seems like a nice guy. I think when they cut to him in in the crowd and and all of that, like, I think that kind of adds a little bit. But I feel like the way that that they incorporate Murphy into the telecast. They've, they've kind of expanded that where instead of it just being like a fun little side thing that they can riff on when the game is getting kind of boring or it's getting kind of slow or getting long, they've now taken that. And instead of that being like, let's say, 10% of the telecast, yeah, they've, they've, now let that, yep. they've, now, they've now let it seep in. The, the best comparison I can have is when you listen to Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio, right? At some point, I have to assume there was a time where radio hosts were able to control the content they were able to lead the discussion they were able to riff on things for long enough like a lot of these national guys are able to do and they would go to the phone lines as a way to kind of move the conversation along as a way to kind of uh you know pit people against each other a little bit in some kind of a debate uh you know go back and forth about a topic and they would use that as as kind of like an ancillary way to to move the conversation along and and even philly sports talk radio now 
I mean, if you think about it, if you listen to most shows, it's it's like what thirty percent are commercials, and like the remaining seventy percent, like probably what forty ish percent of that is uh, you know phone calls, right? Like it's it's not content that's being driven by the host. It it's like a a, a very similar thing that's happened where like this thing that was once a helpful tool has now taken over. And it's just kind of diluted what the original content was. I, I get the sense that during the broadcast, they actually say in, in the truck, let's go back to Murph again. Let's go back to Murph again. And, and I think as a viewer, you look at it and say, all right, the first time I saw Murph, that was fine. Why are we going back to him again? There was a broadcast a couple weeks ago where he picked a couple fans out of the uh, stands. It was like a fan appreciation night. And he actually took them out to the NBC Sports Philly control truck. Right. And like they showed the progression of him getting him out of the stands or getting the two fans out of the stands, walking around the concourse, continuing to walk around the concourse. I mean, they just went back to him again and again and again. And you're like, you guys have to get off of this. Nobody, nobody cared in the first place. And they certainly don't care now the fourth time you've gone back to it. It feels like to me that the Phillies also have their fingerprints on the broadcast more than the other teams do. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I mean, obviously, NBC Sports Philly has rights to the Flyers and to the Sixers, and, and so you would think that the operation is kind of the same across the board. But the Phillies, I feel like, almost use their broadcast more to to develop a brand or to advertise this like family fun, wholesome brand type of thing. And so it's less about the baseball and it's more about the ice cream cone and the the, the concourse out behind you know right field. Like I, I just get this sense that it's, I'm watching a commercial often when I when I look at these games. And the shame of it is. I don't like Tom McCarthy uh, as as a Phillies broadcaster. I just don't. I, I don't like the brand. Uh, I don't like his his shtick uh, on air. He seems like a tremendous guy. You know, what I'll say about Tom McCarthy. He's a fantastic football announcer. Uh, he's done work for both CBS and Westwood One on the radio, and he's really good. I mean, yeah. he's a pro, and he sounds good, and the game sounds important when he calls it. But when he does Phillies games, man, like he really just grinds on me. And I, I don't know if it's the familiarity and the day in, day out of, of listening to him that is, is the issue. But uh, I think he's a hell of a football announcer. I, I just I think he's substandard as a baseball announcer. Um, and, that, so. and that happens a lot, right? Like um, one that stands out to me is like Gus Johnson used to like, well, he does the college basketball stuff. I forget if he did college football stuff. I, I know he definitely did college basketball. Um, but there was a year that he was calling like a UEFA Champions League final. And it was like, it just doesn't fit. Like the way that he was calling it, the the inflections in the voice and what you're expecting in a, in a telecast, it just wasn't there. And then he eventually stepped away from it because he realized that he, he just wasn't, he wasn't up to snuff, right? And like, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know, I think of like Mike Tirico. Tarigo's like maybe the best in the business because I feel like any sport that he does, he brings the same level of quality to any any sport that he brings. If he was calling, you know, an NBA Finals on on the radio uh, while he was working at ESPN, if he was calling a Monday Night Football game, I felt like he sounded just as good and was just as knowledgeable and knew the the cadence and the rhythm of calling those games as well as anybody who does that as their primary sport. And like, yeah. McCarthy comes off I, the the best way to put it I guess would be he kind of comes off like a like a used car salesman and it feels like the the enthusiasm that he feels watching baseball is kind of forced it doesn't feel to me like that is the sport that he loves and cares about when you listen to Jim Jackson call a Flyers game you get a real feeling for him knowing 
you know, the the right feel of, of as things are kind of unfolding. When you listen to Mark Zumoff uh, call a Sixers game, you get the same kind of idea. Zumoff has called some union games in the past, and it's it's not bad. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he is to the union what McCarthy is to the Phillies, but like he's definitely a better basketball broadcaster than he is a, a soccer broadcaster. I, I don't know. Like for some of these guys, I I get why McCarthy would want to, you know, be the lead guy for the Phillies, for a baseball team. It's consistent employment. It's it's a great position to be in. And he probably is a good guy. Um, but sometimes like these guys just kind of find themselves in a spot where they're in a job that maybe they're not best suited for. Like Scott Graham kind of comes to mind. I liked Scott Graham when he was, uh, you know, part of the Phillies broadcast. And he's gone on to do like bigger and better things with NFL films. And and like in fairness, like you can make the argument that he's even better at that than he was as a Phillies guy. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I, Scott it's, Graham's it's kind of divisive. I think people either love Scott Graham or they, they kind of found him to be a guy with a good voice but sort of vanilla. I, I guess like you say used car salesman about McCarthy. I just kind of find him to be corny. And – I, I don't even know that it's his fault. I don't even know that he is corny. I, I like I said, I just almost feel like the Phillies kind of impress upon this this idea of like this is what we want you to be, and so he's just simply playing that part. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, we're not behind the scenes, so it's kind of hard to make those assertions with with full confidence. But I just think it's a substandard broadcast, and I think we both agree on that. Yeah, it's like the the Phillies are almost like the old WWF. Right before like Stone Cold Steve Austin came in and started flipping everybody the bird and like shooting uh, Vince McMahon with with beer cannons and The Rock was laying the SmackDown and DX would come down the ramp like I, I feel like the Phillies need that. There's no way they're gonna do it. I don't exactly know how you do it. Like I, I remember it was uh, I want to say it was like a week or two ago. Sarge came in. It was I guess during one of the alumni things. God, I Sarge, miss like, I miss Sarge and Wheels, like, man. Sarge, <laughs> Sarge came in. They didn't give him a mic, and all I could think about was. You know, like when when um good old Jr. used to call when a when a pro wrestler would come back for a while, be like, by God, by God, that's that's Chris Jericho's music, like that. That's what they were like. Sarge, Sarge is here. I'm like, oh my God, let Sarge go off the rails. Yeah, like did, let, did somebody let just say Sarge... jerk off the ball? Like, did, did we hear that coming down the hallway? <laughs> we did. <laughs> As <I> well, <laughs> well, it's Cadillac time. Like, it, it's so weird if you think back to. Uh, a few years, what, five, five years ago, there was a time where most fans, I think, hated Chris Wheeler. And to some extent, I think there was a large contingency that didn't really like Sarge because they thought Sarge was kind of corny and didn't add a, a ton to the broadcast. I bet if you would ask those same people from five years ago now what they would prefer, they, they miss wheels. 100%. I don't know if they miss Sarge, but my God, Chris Wheeler is like, the mo- he is the the perfect example of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Yeah, I because- mean the thing with Chris Wheeler was that Harry Callis and and he did not get along, and I think to a lot of fans, you know, obviously Callis is so beloved that it, people kind of just were annoyed by Wheeler. And Wheeler's whole thing was used to be that pitch was middle in. Like if, if in. there was a if there was a middle hit, in. the pitch was middle in. And, and don't forget to play your no doubles defense. So like that was the thing with Wheeler, and he did kind of have like a little bit of like a. I don't know, like a rat quality to him. But, 
yeah, in hindsight, now that he's, he's kind of a cheese ball, but yeah, like, it was supposed to be a cheese ball. Gone, you know, and you could tell that he genuinely cared. You could hear the frustration in his voice when they didn't perform well or they had a disappointing loss, and and I appreciated that. And and for that reason, sometimes I feel like Larry Anderson's checked out on the radio uh, occasionally, and yeah. the whole like arguing and bitching about umpires to me kind of gets old sometimes. But you can tell that he gets genuinely frustrated and annoyed with what he's seeing on the field, and, and for that reason, I, I appreciate that, and that's part of the reason I think that the, the radio broadcast is, is fairly strong, and plus Scott Fransky, I think, is, is phenomenal, so, you know, I, I People really... have been clamoring for years for Fransky to take over. Yeah, just and you just wonder, like, would just... it, you just wonder, and, and actually, I was away last week, I was uh, up in uh, New England, a couple different places, and so I was um, watching the games on MLB TV. And one of the cool things that you can do with MLB TV is that you can actually pick your broadcast and radio feed. So you can watch either the home or away team, and you can listen to either the TV or radio broadcast. So I was watching the Ooh. Phillies broadcast, the, the video stream, with Scott Fransky's call, and um, it really was significantly better. Uh, it, it just was a more relaxing, peaceful, insightful broadcast. Um, so, you know, that was a, a neat little perk about that. He actually lets the game breathe. Yeah, which is I think the number one complaint I have with McCarthy and the way that this team kind of does their their telecast. Well, when you used to, when you go back they, to Callis and Ashburn, it was like minutes. You could hear like the uh, cigarette being lit in the background and someone taking a drink, you know. And, and yep. sometimes that would be all you would hear for sixty to ninety seconds. Yep. And now you don't get that. Now it's it's there's like a, a big moment in the game that's happening. Like <laughs> Reese Hoskins could hit a home run, but if we're in the middle of talking about the turkey leg that's for sale, <laughs> you know, out in Ashburn Alley, like they're going to continue that turkey leg conversation and then maybe get back around to it. Hey, uh, Crocker, how do you like that turkey leg? Ha 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 You know, and then you just... I'm going to be honest you with you. I, I, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I, I just... I, I, I clearly I clearly I don't. Job. I clearly don't want to be here. Uh, back, back to you. Kyle hates... Like, Kyle really doesn't like Cruck. I actually find Cruck to be... Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like he encapsulates the way that I feel about the Phillies so often. Like even when they go to him after the game and they do the, uh, the post game live segment where it's just Cruck in the booth and he just looks so dejected and, and remorseful for being in, in that position. Like I, I just kind of identify with him. I shouldn't have gambled away all that money I made as a player. <laughs> like, what is Allen Iverson? To, oh, now I have oh, to sit here. No, oh. I don't even know that he ever gambled. I'm not making that actual accusation. <laughs> I just can't imagine why John Cruck would want to be sitting there doing that at this point in his life. Free turkey um, legs. You know, yeah. one thing I, I would say about Cruck is I actually think he's very insightful, uh, and I think he could be awesome. I think that the Phillies don't ask a lot, or NBC Sports Philly don't ask a lot from him, and so – they kind of let him get away with seeming apathetic and sort of detached or disinterested. Every now and then he'll, he'll give you something in the game where you go, damn, John, like that was pretty good. Like we need more of that. I just think that there isn't that much being asked of him. So he's not giving that much. It's almost like, you know, do your 93 Phillies macho row thing and, and, and kind of do your John Cruck thing here and there. And that's all we really need out of you. I, I think that if they held him to a, a higher standard. They asked more out of him. I think he could deliver it, but uh, but he's not. So eh, whatever. We start on fan apathy and we end with uh, commentator apathy. Yeah, there you go. Full circle. That's a great. That's a great thing. Well, uh, you know, don't forget to go check out the uh, the rest of the Phillies series against the Red Sox. <laughs> They'll be uh, back at it tonight, uh, tomorrow night at uh, seven oh five. Make sure you check that be, one out. Yeah, it's just gonna be great. Can they can they follow up on their two hit one walk performance? Uh, stay tuned for a, a three and a half hour game. 
I think that's the other thing, Bob. And <laughs> and I don't want to like open this uh, this large can please, of worms. It's, it's very don't. late. Yeah. But I I do get the feeling now that part of this problem and part of the reason that people aren't getting into it is because uh, whether it is true or not, the prevailing wisdom that games are taking longer than ever is something that sticks in people's mind. And I'm, I'm actually starting to wonder, and I never used to feel like this. I'm wondering now if 162 games is too long of a season. I genuinely do. I want to throw this idea out to you really quick before we go. I want to restructure the way that baseball does scheduling. You are not alone. I think the way to bring some kind of intrigue back to the sport, and I don't know how many, do we know how many different teams does a team play in a given year? Uh, do we, I don't do we know, know that? that? I think I want to say like 19 to 20, I believe. And there's how many in the sport? 30 or 30, 32? 30. There's 30. I want to go to a system where we take away some division series because I, I feel like there are so many times it's like, oh, we're, we're playing the Marlins again. We just played the Marlins. Well, we're going to play the Marlins, you know, three more series in the next five weeks. Take away some of the division games. I want every team to play every team. I want a series, a home and home against every team in baseball. I want to see the Phillies playing at Yankee Stadium, and I want to see the Yankees playing at Citizens Bank Park. I want to see the the Phillies playing at the Rays. I want to see the Rays at the Phillies. I think there's a way to make it work. I think it would be an absolute nightmare, scheduling-wise, for uh, the, the poor professionals who have to make the schedule. But I wouldn't be so upset with seeing less division games. It would actually increase the importance of the division games. And, that is, that's true. And might I even recommend that you stagger where the division games are. So, for example, the first month of the season is where your first set of division games are played, or like a big a big chunk of, you know, of your division games are played. Mid-season, around the trade deadline, there's another large chunk. And at the end of the season, there's another large divisional chunk. Not only have you now raised the importance because you've limited the number of games that you have against division opponents, but you've placed them strategically throughout the season in a spot where there is a massive emphasis on those games. It no longer is a walk in the park, you know, trying to get your bearings about you in... Uh, you know, the month of May or or even April, there's now a bigger onus on making sure that you make that big trade deadline acquisition because you know that you're going to have to go up against the guys in your own division in, uh, what, July, August. Uh, and then at the end of the season, when, when everything, all the dust is settled, you're done playing interleague, you're done playing against the other teams in uh, in the National League, you're now facing the last couple weeks of the season, and it's primarily or totally consisting of games within your division. I feel like that would be a, a good way to kind of bring back rivalries within divisions. It would make those games more meaningful, and it would provide fans the opportunity to, to see every single team at their home ballpark. And I think that's a way to drive you know people out to the park. Yeah, you get Mike Trout in here every year. You know, you get yep. you, you get the Red Sox in here every year. You get the, you know, I think that they're that that's not a terrible idea. I actually kind of like the the idea of of doing that. Um, j- just to answer your question, the Phillies have played nineteen different teams this season, so I, I think that that is the number. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, you see that in football. You know, it's week eleven, and you have a division matchup. That game has more juice behind it, and yep. so I think that they're they will have to do something. You know, I'm a, a traditionalist, and I I love baseball, and I don't want to see the game 
altered significantly because I, I enjoy the game. But I will admit to you uh, that the game is trending in the wrong direction. And and I don't want to have this uh, referendum on shifts and and analytics and, and new school and, and all of this stuff. But they, they will have to do something. Um, and I think they're getting close. I, I would be very surprised within in the next two or three years. You don't see some type of, I don't want to use the word radical, but I think a significant change to the way the game is either being played in terms of its rules um, and what you can do with defenses or to the way that scheduling is done. But, but something is going to give here because uh, it's not a good product. And I think the baseball is aware of that. <sighs> Another baseball conversation that ends with, uh, <laughs> with a, a whole with lot a, more questions than, than answers. A, oh. Yeah. I mean, because it's complicated <laughs> because what you're doing is you're trying to draw in a new generation, but you're also trying to appease the people that have, developed a lifelong obsession with the sport and if you go and you change it so greatly you're going to turn off a lot of people to it yet you you run the risk of of not getting that new wave of people in so that's the fine line that baseball has to balance and it's an unenviable position you know so we'll, we'll see you just described the uh the best facebook status relationship status for how fans feel about their sport it's complicated it's complicated it sure is well, Bob, thanks for being here. Uh, a very happy birthday to uh, Kyle, who is off today. Good for him. He's made it another year in this world. And uh, uh, I don't know. I, I thought about uh, how awful it would be. What if we posted his phone number and just let people <laughs> go crazy? I don't think now, that, that would be good. <laughs> no, I, I like working here. I think it'll yeah. be fine. All right. So I won't do that. Yeah. But uh, a happy birthday to him. Thanks, as always, Bob, for uh, for joining me on this uh, this endeavor, this wonderful episode of Crossing Broadcast where we talk about the fight in Phil's. And hopefully they, uh, they'll, I don't know, catch some of that fight. We'll maybe see Justin Bohr in there at some point, and uh, they'll be able to kind of right this ship. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be a very uh, short buildup as we uh, get ready for Eagle season and eventually Sixers and Flyers. I just hope that this Philly season ends with a bang. That's all I want. It'd be nice. We'll see. <laughs> All right. We'll uh, see. Go go check out the other shows on it's Crossing Broad. Pod- yeah, yeah. Go uh, check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up with Bob and Anthony. You can find them on Twitter at, at BW Crossing Broad and at Ant San Philly. Uh, go check out Snow the Goalie. That's with uh, me and Anthony. So uh, follow us on Twitter as well. Uh, I think we're having a guest coming up soon. And we made the announcement uh, recently that we're going to be doing a crossover show uh, with Jason Martitas's hockey podcast stick to hockey so uh, that'll be something fun coming down the pipeline uh kevin just dropped a new episode of it's always soccer in philadelphia i think that's two within seven days that is something that you just quite frankly don't see all that often so make sure you go check out it's always soccer in philadelphia and follow him on twitter at k kincaid that's k-i-n-k-e-a-d that's really fantastically done by me and at some point phil and i are going to record an episode of crossing broad fc uh, a week is done in the english premier league Serie A and uh, la liga and ligan are all getting ready to fire up la liga is coming soon and i have to see if my uh, my team real madrid is able to overcome the loss of cristiano ronaldo i don't know if they will but we'll see so go check out that show as well and follow phil on twitter at phil kydell that's k-e-i-d-e-l it's not hard to spell it's phil kydell for bob I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.